The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services, Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post-acute health care clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc. or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entities. Hi, my name is Ryan Rushton. Here we are with another podcast. Um, I'm here today with the uh, handsome and ever fit Clayton Christensen. Yes. Um, <laughs> you forgot to put nice dresser. <clears throat> sorry, sorry. Uh, they wouldn't be able to see that because it's yeah. just audio only. But um, so, uh, Clayton, I've never operated a skilled nursing facility, um, but but when I when I go looking around at the different um, skilled nursing facilities. Um, that, that I've been to. Um, when I talk to some of our different operators, I, I see how different they all are. Um, yeah. some, are some are located in, in really rural areas. Um, some, are, some are in obviously in urban areas. Um, some are large, some are small. Um, there's uh, different uh, economic neighborhoods that, that, that these operations can, can be located in. Um, and and I've, I've realized that um, and seen over the years that when, when, when a skilled nursing facility is failing, um, they, you know, operations can run to any number of those excuses um, to, to really, you know, say why they're struggling, um, whether it be because they're in an, uh, an urban yeah. area or because they're in a, um, a, you know, a rough location. Sort of, it's not fair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I know you did um, operate skilled um, nursing homes before as an administrator, mm-hmm. and, and what are some of the most common excuses or, or complaints you've seen operations yeah, have? Yeah, I, I think you've I think you've nailed a lot of the ones that I've had personally in mm-hmm. in, in my past. My my building is too small. There are uh, we have multiple beds in one room, and that's that's harder to to sell to people. Or my building is too old. How do I compete mm-hmm. with these nice new ones? The the labor supply. There's just not enough uh, strong labor in this area. Or uh, one that I've had where I've become very frustrated with how the Department of Health works. Mm-hmm. They they were maybe less friendly to me, or or seemingly less reasonable, or. or I've even heard some that say, look, I don't have any any cluster partners nearby that I can easily reach out to or receive their help. Or even this state hmm. is harder. I, I, I've operated in multiple states, and, and it seems like each state has its own nuances. And, and honestly, the more I think about all of these excuses, I can't think of an operation that doesn't have a valid excuse hmm. to hide behind for failure. It's probably why this industry is perceived as failing it's probably why it doesn't have the great reputation that that it, that it should have so, so pe- people then just need to just need to have a better attitude about their challenges <laughs> and just just deal with it and get get over it yeah i mean that's that's kind of the that, that's the misunderstanding here mm-hmm. um and and i want to talk about this and i, and I want to talk about this carefully I, I don't want you to think that the answer is to be more Rah, rah, shish, boom, bah, we've got to pump everybody up and, mm-hmm. and, and make them more optimistic. But, but I also don't want the opposite to happen. I don't want us saying, woe is me, uh, whatever excuse that we have, the state, the facility, whatever it may be, right. and, and becoming pessimistic. 
right? And so I think the the sweet spot that I'm trying to find for people is is making sure that we understand that we need to be realistic without losing faith in the end result of success. And I, and I say that, I, I want to say that realistic with a caution, because sometimes realistic in, in our uh, in our scenario, might sound the same as pessimistic. It's a, it's a tough industry. Mm, it is. Things are hard. It's it's uh, uh, it's one of the hardest things that I've ever done running running a, a operation in the long term care industry. It's highly regulated. Your customer would rather not be your customer. They'd rather be you know home and mm. healthy and and happy. And everyone always seems to want to be catching you at doing something wrong and. And you're not just trying to do it right. You're trying to do it exceptionally well right. in that environment. So I just think it's important that everybody, first of all, understand, everybody that's confronting kind of their brutal facts that they think are unique to them, they need to understand that everyone I know that's really succeeding mm -hmm. has had to face either the exact same brutal facts that you are facing or a different one. But somebody out there knows what you're going through, and they know how to get past it from experiences. They're, they're pioneers who have gone before you and turned their rural, small, old, you know, bad reputation facilities, poor payer environments, small labor pool, whatever the excuse is, mm -hmm. they've turned those around. And here's what I promise you they won't say to you when, when, they, when they work with you. They won't just say, hey, have a better attitude. Think happy thoughts, and all of your problems will go away. <laughs> all right. Well, what, what will they say? Because that's frustrating, oh, right? I'm, I'm sure. When somebody sure. says that. Just have you, a better get... attitude. So I've read a couple of books in the recent past that, that warn me about the danger of mindless optimism. Hmm. So I know this podcast may sound weird, but I'm, I'm cautioning you from being optimistic. <laughs> and, and I want to make sure you that I clarify that. You have to explain that. Please do. Right. Please uh, do. Because I certainly don't want you to walk away thinking I need to be more pessimistic. So the first I, I want to talk about is the book Multipliers by Liz Weissman. Mm -hmm. In it, she discusses what is called a diminisher. It's the opposite of a multiplier. A multiplier is somebody who, who just brings out the best in, in abilities from people around them. A diminisher is somebody, and especially an accidental diminisher, is somebody that means well, they want to help their team, but in the end, they're actually diminishing their capability. They're diminishing the talent of the people around them. And one of the traits of a leader that tends to stifle or frustrate their people is optimism. Hmm. Again, that's hmm. not to say we don't want a positive can-do attitude, but the optimist will sometimes use phrases like, uh, how hard can it be? <laughs> And, and that's frustrating for people, right? I mean, yeah. sometimes the things we're trying to tackle are really hard. And sometimes it's just nice for a leader to acknowledge that. Sometimes when leaders are so optimistic about the upside of a project, they tend to ignore the downside. And the downside needs to be acknowledged. We can't just say, hey, with a positive attitude, all of our problems will go away. Because in reality, 
we have to make those problems go away yeah. oftentimes. I, I don't know if you've ever worked with an annoying optimist before, right? I, I, I may or may not have on the, the podcast here. I don't want to call, call any, any particular names out. Um, I, I, I will say, um, I, I mean, definitely having worked with, with folks like that before, it, 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 you know, there's, there's so many different downsides to it. And you yeah. know, one that you touched on that is near and dear is sort of that, that lack of respect to the gravity of a situation that they're yeah. giving it. And, and, um, Which sort of lacks respect in the work that you're doing. Exactly. When exactly. you're saying, hey, we can do this. It's easy. <laughs> it's easy. It's no problem. Yeah. Um, so you, you also said that you read a couple of books about this. Um, what was the other? So the other, uh, hopefully uh, a lot of you have read this, is the Jim Collins book, Good to Great. And, and it refers to these excuses as the brutal facts. In fact, when I talk about the difference, a lot of times in, in trainings, you've heard me talk about the difference between people who rent their jobs and people who own their jobs, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I relate it to renting a car. When you rent a car, you only do... Uh, what the contract requires you do. You're not going right. to wash the car. You're not going <laughs> right. to get oil changes. But when you own a car, you do do those things, mm-hmm. right? So a renter of a job and an owner of a job have very different attitudes. And I've all, I say this, renters of jobs have excuses. Owners have brutal facts. Renters can afford to throw their hands in the air and point to reasons why they're not having more success an owner doesn't have that luxury. Hmm. An owner has to confront them and, and find a way around them. It, it makes me think of a very poignant example of mine. In, in, in my former life, I, I used to own and operate a, a home health care mm-hmm. agency. And when I was getting that home health care agency up and started, I went for many, many months, uh, over 12 months, not, not in a row, but over 12 months total without any paycheck. Hmm. And there was one point where in order to make payroll, I had to run to the bank 10 minutes before it closes to get a check in, a personal check to cover everybody else's payroll. As a renter, I can throw my hands in the air and say, oh, it didn't work, sorry. But as an owner, I had to confront some brutal facts and find a way to, to get around those brutal facts. I didn't have the luxury of just having an excuse. Right. It had to be a brutal fact that I confronted. No, I, I, I can see that. Um, as an owner, you obviously had to, to, to confront that. You really didn't have a choice to not You don't not have, have the option, covered. yeah. Um, as a renter, they you know certainly could have just left the situation. Yeah, um, oh well. <laughs> Bummer. Um, sorry. Uh, so if you don't mind, if you could give a, a two examples from the book, um, good to great. Yeah, so I really like these two examples because they point out the importance of confronting the brutal facts while never losing an unwavering belief that you'll come off victorious in the end. One of my favorite leaders uh, to point to is Winston Churchill. I mean, talk about confronting the brutal facts. He was confronting a man named Hitler who had some pretty incredible goals of taking over the world. And it looked like he was succeeding. When things looked extremely bleak, Winston Churchill maintained an unwavering faith. And, and, and again, this is different than optimism. Right. He, he maintained this unwavering faith that not only would Britain survive, but that they would come out of this a great nation. And when things were most bleak, Churchill said this. This is a quote. He said, we are resolved to destroy Hitler and every vestige of the Nazi regime. From this, nothing will turn us. Nothing. We will never parlay. 
We will never negotiate with Hitler or any of his gang. We shall fight with him by land. We shall fight with him by sea. We shall fight with him in the air until with God's help, we have rid the earth of his shadow. That's such an amazing <laughs> statement. Like just hearing you, <laughs> you say it is, uh, gave me chills. And, really and to powerful. know what was going on yeah, when he was saying just... that buildings were burning, people were dying, planes were being shot down. And, 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 and again, Churchill was obviously an inspiring leader, but inspiring rhetoric alone certainly would not have been enough to come off victorious. Right. Right? I mean, right. everything can be on fire, and he can sit there saying, hey, we can do it. We can do it. This isn't hard. You know, we will win. Right. <laughs> That's not going to do anything alone. His charismatic personality was not going to win this battle for civilization. No. Along with his unwavering resolve to succeed, he knew he needed an unwavering resolve to confront all the brutal realities that surrounded him. So what he did is in the early days of the war, he established an entirely new department, one that didn't need to follow the normal chain of command. You know, most of them had to go through this, this bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. And he called this department simply, and this is not an exciting name, he called it the Statistical Office. <laughs> right? That it's, is not, not it's not an, very flashy that is and not inspiring. A fl- that is not a flashy, inspiring uh, yeah. wartime department name. But the Statistical Office's main function was to feed Churchill continuously updated, unfiltered, brutal facts, unfiltered, brutal facts. How many buildings are on fire? How many planes have been shot down? How many soldiers have been killed or captured? Just facts, no politics, no sugarcoating, raw, hard data that would point them where they needed to go. And and Churchill says this, he said, I had no need for cheering dreams. Facts are better than dreams. I mean, that's such an amazing example. I, I, I can't imagine the strength that it would take in a leader um, to not feel like all was lost during that time and to, um, to really look at the brutal facts of the situation and, and still move forward in, a, in an inspirational way, but um, not just as an optimist, right? But, yeah, but I mean, partnered it, with a plan to help deal with those brutal yeah, facts. Yeah, details and, 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 and confronting those details. He, didn't, he wouldn't say, uh, let's not show them these statistics because that'll hurt their feelings or that right. will demotivate <laughs> them. This is what they need to know. Right. We need to know the reality of everything that's happening in the war as quickly and and unfiltered as possible. Imagine if I said to you, Ryan, just go run. But I don't tell you how far. I don't tell you anything about the course. You just start running. You don't know how fast to run. You don't know if you're going to be able to do it. If it's just 100, you don't know why you're running. If it's just 100 meters, you can sprint. But if I tell you, you have a five-mile run, you're going to have some of these hills, you, right. you can now plan for those brutal facts right? <laughs> instead of just saying, don't worry about it, Ryan, you can do it. Ryan, I know, you got this. I know you can be fast. That, not knowing those brutal facts is, is not helpful. No, that, that makes a ton of sense. Um, so that, that is a great first story. Um, what's the other story you mentioned? So one of my favorite stories from, from the book, Good to Great, is the story of Admiral Stockdale. Admiral Stockdale was the highest ranking military officer held in the Hanoi Hilton, uh, the, the, Viet, the famous Vietnam POW camp. Mm-hmm. He was tortured over 20 times in his eight-year stay. I, I can't imagine I, that. I, me either. I can't even not being tortured. An eight-year eight stay, stay as that, a prisoner that of alone, war. Right, on top of that. The, how discouraged you would be. Incredible. He, he confronted the facts of, of no prisoner rights a war that seemed like it had no end in sight, mm. all of these different things, I just imagine I would have been incredibly discouraged. But he was a leader to his men inside the camp, with or without his title. 
It wasn't just about you know him being an admiral. It, it was it was who he was. He developed methods to help the POWs deal with torture, and even helped them find ways to communicate with each other in in solitary circumstances, which was really interesting. That helped kind of you know keep him alive. So after his release, he became the first three-star officer in the history of the Navy to earn both Aviator Wings and the Congressional Medal of Honor. Yet his story was really dark and discouraging. We see the outcome. We see this great leader that was created, but there were dark, brutal facts that he had to go through, and it, almost hard to read if you, if you learn about his life. Yeah. Any human would wonder how another human being could survive such depressing and, and deplorable circumstances. So this is interesting. When he was asked how he got through it, he said this, quote, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. Hmm. And I think about that, I think, well, wait a second, isn't he being optimistic here? (laughs) It seems like this is the... But then he was asked the big question and it came with a very unexpected answer. Uh, Jim Collins asked him the question, who didn't make it out? Mm Mm-hmm. Collins thought he would have to ponder that deep question for a while, but instead Stockdale said like this. He said, oh, that's easy. The optimists. And, and ju- just, just hearing those two <laughs> things that seem in- incongruous. It seemed like, yeah, yeah, it seemed like he was being optimistic. And he said, no, right. the optimists didn't make it. And I'm, you know, he's, wait, what? Right. Didn't he just say that he was an optimist when he had never stopped believing in the end goal? But he went on. Here, here's how he clar- clarifies it. Quote, okay. The optimists. Oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. They'd say, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come. And Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving. And then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. After a while, he, he continued saying this. He said, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting where, where he placed his faith on prevailing in the end, not on this next un- upcoming date with no data or reality to back up that that optimism i mean you can't lose the sight that this operation can be great this operation can be amazing in fact and and helping them to see it but in order to get there we need our own statistical office (laughs) we need an understanding of the brutal facts so that we know how to achieve that greatness so how would i um apply some of those lessons to leadership or running a long-term operation yeah look Here's the reality that we all need to confront. Life is unfair. Got that? Mm -hmm. Did that come as a surprise to anybody? Life is unfair? Wait, wait, what? Life is unfair. (laughs) Darn it! Sometimes, though, it benefits us. And sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So deal with that. Someone's operation might be in a better area. Yes. Another might have a newer facility. Someone might have a larger labor pool to pull from. Another might deal with the Department of Health that is more helpful or less helpful, every single operation out there has a valid, ex- a valid excuse to not succeed. Right. 
What's the difference between a successful operation and one that isn't succeeding? It's not the brutal facts. They all face them. The successful operations confront the brutal facts head on, not ignoring them, while never losing faith that they will overcome them in the end. That's it. Everyone has them. It's what you do with those brutal facts that is going to define you as a leader. Yeah, I, I love that statement about what you do with those brutal facts that defines you. Um, I'm hoping that we can learn to use data to help us con- to confront the realities that we have, um, but also continue to have the grit and the drive and the tenacity yeah. um, to really never give up uh, and to see your operation or, or um, department um, through to its success. Um, yeah. Really, anything else you want to add to conclude? Yeah, you know, it makes me think of this uh, one story that a lot of people have heard. It's, it's the story of, of Hernando Cortez, and, and this is in the year 1519. Uh, He sets sail on the final leg of a voyage from Cuba to the Yucatan Peninsula. He had about 500 soldiers, 100 sailors, 16 horses, 11 ships, and he was going after the world's richest treasure that had been held by the same army for hundreds of years. (laughs) And many people had failed to take this treasure. Mm-hmm. And again, he was a conqueror. Right. That that was just sort of a normal job description in the right, past. Just right? He could be yeah. a you know an accountant or a conqueror, <laughs> or, and, and 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 that's what he was trying to do. And he knew that he needed more than a strong army. He knew that he needed commitment and vision. Right. And so what he would do is he would sit down with his people, and he would talk to them about the, what the treasure looks like. And he mm-hmm. would he would say, "This is your kids can grow up with privilege, and they can go to the best schools, and they can drive the nicest cars, and they can." And he was trying to inspire them right. in, in the best way that he knew how. And they got all excited. And then partway through the journey, some of them started to complain, and some of them wanted to turn back. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not cut out to be a sailor. I'm not cut out to be a conqueror. It's not, not so much fun. I'd rather want to be go back to be yeah. go back to the accounting job and stop yeah. being a conqueror. Yeah, and so so he would he would start talking to them again, and and sometimes you can imagine he had meetings, and and people would leave those meetings and have little back channel meetings, and you know right. Cortez is crazy and he doesn't right. know what he's talking about. <laughs> so when he finally lands and they're getting ready for the day to to take over uh, to to capture the the treasure. Mm-hmm. Instead of showing up to a strategy meeting where, you know, everybody says, okay, go here. When arrows start flying, everybody meet by the coconut tree, you know, and, and all the strategy. He doesn't do that. He, he, he goes again and he talks to them about the vision. Right. And he says, this is what we can do with this treasure. This is how it will change our lives. This is how it will make us better. And then he said three words that just blew their minds. Uh-huh. He said... Queme los barcos. <laughs> You'll have to translate for me. Burn the boats. Wow. <laughs> Burn the boats. He said, he said, we are either going to succeed, and if we leave, we're either, we're either dying or we're going on their boats. Wow. Right? But we are... And, and people know this story of Cortez, of burning the ships and, mm-hmm. and, and removing, removing this, this even option to retreat. And oftentimes, I like to think of these ships as our excuses. Look, when things go wrong, Hmm. I don't like to think that it's because of something I'm failing in. I like excuses that I can run to. 
where I can say, well, this is why it's failing. I wasn't given adequate training and I didn't have the right partners and I didn't have the right facility and I'm in the wrong area and whatever it may be. And I run to those boats and I retreat. No, I, that is a, a great analogy. I've not heard that. Um, I've talked with you about the subject a number of times yeah. and making that final connection um, between the boats being the excuses, I think is, is, is brilliant. And it's figuring it's, out it's how we burn those yeah. in our mind, right? How do we actually get rid of them and say to ourselves, be, be personally humble enough to say, if this operation's failing, it's because of my failure as a leader. Yeah. It's because of my failure to confront these brutal facts and, and to remove that idea that in case we fail, we can run to this, remove those excuses, burn those boats so that you can find a way to succeed. Wow. That's a, that's a great story, Clay. Um, really, thank you for your time today talking about the, the whole subject with me. I will definitely work on being less optimistic. That's right. <laughs> um, that's right. But, but really... Um, I hope I don't see you walking around being depressed now. <laughs> you will have missed the point. Yeah, then it's, it's your fault, Clay. Um, but but tr- truly, uh, you know, continuing to talk about this does inspire me to want to continue to make sure that I'm, that I'm confronting the brutal facts um, and that I'm doing it with you know, unwavering faith that I will succeed in the end. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.